Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Friday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com, Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means. And we're talking about dudes. We're talking about dudes on defense. And I don't know about this idea. We'll see. The thing I wanted, I just was thinking about this the other day, guys. And I think we've had some good conversations about Jim Knowles, with Jim Knowles this spring, about teaching the defense versus bringing out competition in the defense and what year two might look like. And I do think we've covered scheme and the adjustments and are they going to do less jack? And is the nickel safety going to be more like a cornerback than a safety and all these kind of things. And then I just thought about, what about the guys? What about the dudes on defense? What do we think? about who might break out and and could they have stars. So my dude definition on defense, I think, is just like a, a star, a guy that an offense has to plan for, somebody who, regardless of scheme, would be a problem consistently. That when an offense sits down to get ready for Ohio State, they're like, I don't, we got to figure out this guy or he's going to blow us up. And I think you, you can certainly be an edge rusher to do that. You can certainly be a corner. You can be a, a roaming and roving safety who's – everywhere you can be a linebacker who is out in space and completely shutting down the run game and making every tackle and so nathan is this worthy discussion we've been having this discussion i think it's this is just a crystallization of something we've been talking about for i don't know four years now right like i we've been sort of looking for the dudes on defense and i think it matters um we'll talk about i guess you know uh, you'll go down a list that you sent to our texters and like what the qualifications are for being a dude. But when I first saw your list, I, I thought to myself like, well, what about this guy? Like this guy was pretty good, but uh, I think it's, 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 it's unquestionable. Like, is this guy, does this guy kind of intimidate an opposing offense? And I don't think Ohio state has had truly intimidating players on defense in any consistent way since 2019. And I do think as always, some of the best ways to try to make comparisons here is by making a comparison to Ohio State. And Stephen, if we were saying dudes on offense, I don't know. We'd be like, well, I don't know. I'm not sure if it'd be like, okay, Marv. Yeah, it wouldn't actually even be a fun podcast. We'd just be naming off names for an hour. Yeah. Like there, it's, there's not – like you, you know it when you see it. And so I think, like, if you looked at last year's offense, it's like, well, Marv's a dude, and CJ's a dude, and Paris is a dude, and then I think we'd get into like, well, like, is Dewan a dude? Okay. Is like, a, like the what, what 
a team at the is a Mecca is Cade Stover a dude. And I think we'd be at like, well, you know, three sure things. And then we'd be at, well, I don't know. Do we get to four? Do we get to five? I don't know. And so I do think we we know what that looks like. So the thing I want to do, I think we'll do how many dudes should an Ohio state defense have? Like what's the standard? Then we'll do how many did we think in the end they had last year and how many do we think they'll have next year? So Nathan, you referenced this. I sent this out to the texters like a, I don't know, six days ago, because I was just thinking about dudes. And I said, this is my list. And then uh, I did just sort of like check some snap counts. I did like look at PFF grades, but I didn't go by PFF. This is not a, you can't, you can't have a dude conversation and just constantly reference PFF grades. No offense to PFF. That's not what this is about. Yeah. You got to feel it. It's got to be tangible. It's got to be. PFF is a, is a you more of an eye test than maybe any other metric. Not PFF, I'm sorry, a dude test. Yeah. And so I, I didn't, I didn't want to have a guy who I wrote down as a dude and then go to PFF and be, oh, he was a 68 that year. You know, like you want to check yourself a little bit, but it, I just did it by on what I remember and what I feel. So this is what I wound up with. And I, and I tweaked it a little bit as I went along. I just went back to 2014, national title year. 2014, I said they had two. And again, this is a pretty high standard. Joey Bosa at defensive end and Vaughn Bell. I didn't say Josh Perry. I didn't say Eli Apple. I didn't say Michael Bennett, who was really good that year. I didn't say Duran Grant. I didn't say Adolphus Washington. I said Joey Bosa and Vaughn Bell. In 2015, I said four. Joey Bosa, Vaughn Bell. And then I added Darren Lee. And Raekwon McMillan. And I might be a little out over my skis on Raekwon McMillan. I just thought he was kind of an underrated player here. I remember having kind of a, a long conversation with Raekwon about how frustrated he was that he wasn't a first-team All-American. And I, I just thought he made a difference at middle linebacker. And I originally had Darren Lee as a dude in 2014. And then I went back and I, I wrote a story like before the Alabama game about how Darren Lee was becoming that. Could he rise? Well, he wasn't that the whole year. It's not fair to say that. I thought by 2015, he was a guy that you had to game plan around. So two and 14, four and 15. 2016, I said three. Raekwon McMillan at linebacker, Malik Hooker at safety, and Marshawn Latimer at, Lattimore at corner. And I don't know that there's a ton of debate about that. 2017, I said two. Nick Bosa at defensive end and Denzel Ward at corner. Now, the one thing I'll say in 2016, I did not say Nick Bosa because Nick Bosa only played 320 snaps in 2016. That's when they were rotating all those defensive ends. Sam Hubbard, Tyquan Lewis, Nick Bosa, Jalen Holmes. And Bosa didn't rise to the level. No, 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 that's wrong. 17 is when they rotated. 16 is when like, yeah, Nick like, Bosa cool. just got there. So I didn't I didn't have Bosa in 16. I did not have Bosa in 16. He his PFF grade is through the roof, but he only played 300 snaps. So I didn't have it. So and then I didn't like Tyquan Lewis never made this list for as good as he was. Sam Hubbard did not make the dude list for as good as he was. So in 17, it's Nick Bosa and Denzel Ward. 18. I didn't do Nick Bosa because he only played two and a half games. If he had played the whole year, he certainly would have been. I did Chase Young and Draymond Jones. And that's high, a high level for Draymond. But I thought Draymond was the best player on that defense, snap in, snap out in 2018. My defense had a lot of problems. And as an interior defensive lineman was like a real problem at times. And then Chase wasn't peak Chase, but man, they had 10 sacks. 
And when he was on, you had to you had to be aware of of where Chase Young was. 2019, I said two, Chase Young and Jeff Okuda, and they go on to be the number two and three picks in the draft. Again, I don't think there's a lot of dispute there. I didn't have Damon Arnett. And somebody like Malik Harrison never rose to the level here. Pete Werner never rose to the level here because in 20 and 21, I said none. And that's in a world where we're having a conversation about is Pete Werner your best defensive player? Pete Werner was a high draft pick, second round draft pick, played well in the NFL. But did you sit down and say, oh man, I don't know what we're going to do with Pete Werner. When the conversation is Malik Hooker and Marshawn Lattimore and Joey Bosa, I just I just think he's not quite there. So by that standard, from 14 on, 2, 4, 3, 2, 2, 2, none, none. 2022, I left as a question mark, and then we'll get to 2023. Nathan and Steven, you guys weren't here covering this team every snap then, but you know the names, you know the reputations. Nathan, does that, am I... Does that feel generally right or does it feel generally wrong one way or the other? From those like 14 through 18, I, I that does feel generally right to me just from, you know, being distantly aware of those teams. But and also like going back and looking back through history in recent years and seeing what those teams had and, and, and what those teams did. And certainly for 2019 on, I think it's spot on. When you start using that standard, when you use the standard of the names that are on that list from 2014 through 2019, and then you look for the people 2021, 20, 22, who deserve to rise to that level, I'm, I'm coming up with the same question marks you are. Stephen, what do you think? Does it, does it feel too many, too light, just right? No, that, that feels right, especially after you explained it, because when you didn't have Taekwon on here as the, the Big Ten defensive lineman of the year, at first when I saw this, I'm like, wait, what? No, he was Big Ten defensive lineman of the year. And then I'm thinking, like, Gary Collins, the first rounder. But there is, like, there's the dude, and then there's being the guy next to the dude. And I think you did a good job, now that you've really explained mm. it, of explaining that there are some guys who were like clearly the the backbone and the driving force behind defenses versus guys who are really really good but like it's like Zach Harrison right if he's your second best if he's your next tier level of dude then it's like oh man that's a really good defense the problem is we haven't had tier one a level uh, high classification dudes here so I, I like the way you work it down actually well I think Steven touches on something that I that I thought of when I looked at this list which is Having one dude, I think, makes it easier to have yeah. two dudes sometimes. That, that that second dude doesn't have to be as dude to be a dude because that first guy. And we can, I guess, explore that more. But I, I think there's something to that. And I also think I completely agree with that. And I think if you have two, then you can maybe have – well, then it's like, well, should there be three? Because two dudes make three and four yeah. almost dudes because it just raises the level. It's It's the thing – that just crystallized to me in the 2006 national title game on the offensive side of the ball where Ted Ginn Jr. was a dude. And when you had him out there, you could feel like, oh, wow, okay, well then I don't know what you're going to do with Anthony Gonzalez and I don't know what you're going to do with Antonio Pittman. And obviously Troy was a dude too, but as soon as you took Ted off the field, Every, in that title game, when he got hurt, 
everything fell down a notch. Because once you take the guy that the team has to worry about away, everybody else gets a little less scary if they're not dudes. Dudes, Stephen, are scary all the time, no matter what. And so if I was going to do this, if I had gone back through every team I covered both sides of the ball, you know, no offense to Anthony Gonzalez, but I, I'm not putting mm-hmm. Anthony Gonzalez at that level, not in the way that Ted Ginn Jr. was, Stephen. And so I do think, which I think is the point that we're going to do, it, it, it breeds something. You're just, you can be a better player when you have absolute stars around you. And then when the opposing team has to focus on you a little bit less. It does make everybody else's life easier, which can raise people's level of play because to take Chase Young, Chase Young is such a dude that you have to throw three and four people at him. What does it do? It lets Jay Sean Carnell and Davon Hamilton and the freshman Zach Harrison all have these moments. Zach Harrison really didn't have those moments when Chase Young was going. What did Jeff Okuda being the dude do? It, raised the level of play for Damon Arnett because he was getting so much action that he ended up having a really good season. You can keep going on down the list. You want to use the offensive side. Marvin is such a dude. I, I think Amek is probably knocking on the door being a dude, but he's not a Marvin-type dude. So it's like, mm-hmm. that's your second dude on, at wide receiver, and that's after losing your main dude at in Jackson Smith the Jigba. And then you get years with the wide receiver years has three dudes with Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and, and Jackson Smith the Jigba. So just, the more dudes you have, the more A-plus level guys you have, the more of the people who are probably C's can maybe play like B. And that's when you get something special. And I think possibly, and we just had this conversation on the Thursday podcast, when you lose Marvin in the Georgia game and you really, really mm-hmm. – feel it and this is no offense to mecca buka he was still out there but man did you miss marvin and so you know like if we were doing this on offense would we go a mecca i think he's i think he's a debate but i don't think he's a sure thing because last in that game nathan if you if they had lost a mecca but still had marvin I don't think it would have felt the same as it did when they lose Marvin, but still have a Mecca knowing what a great player a Mecca book is. Yeah. And then, and so then the question becomes, is Kate Stover a dude? And that mm. I think if we were doing that on offense, would we at least discuss it? Well, right? no, it'd be a conversation. Yeah. Um, by that standard of absolutely. No, I think that. I think a dude is more about you and less about what the gap is between you and who the number two guy is. And that's a situation where that's, a, that's, that's, that's more fair. of that. Like with Marvin, how do we know Marvin was a dude? The Penn State game when literally no other re- receiver could get open. And it just became, we're going to run slants to Marvin Harrison for the next hour and a half. That's the only way we can move the ball. That's when I think a dude. Like Kate Stover, very good tight end. NFL level tight end. Very valuable to this room. I'm still not going to put him on the same pedestal as Marvin Harrison in terms of how good he is, even if his value might be a little higher based on what number two is in the room. And I think that's where we would have landed. I think we would have had a discussion and we would have wrapped it up with that, those kind of comments and we would have arrived at Marvin, CJ, Paris, and maybe that would have been it. So how many then? So I, I did – now we're going back to PFF because yes, when you – Compare across things we can't compare with it that we're experts on other teams the way we are about Ohio State. In PFF, I just lumped, I put in Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, Georgia. Those four teams last year 
all the guys who played at least 20% of the snaps. And I just wanted to see where Ohio State guys ranked. And there are some guys who are PFF darlings. And there are some guys who are great players who have high PFF grades. And so I just wanted to see like how many Ohio State guys were in the top whatever. Here's the top group of, of those four teams, the highest grades defensively on PFF. Number one's Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle from Georgia. Number two is Brian Branch in the secondary at Alabama. Number three is Will Johnson, the Michigan corner. Then four, five, six is Ohio State. Tommy Eichenberg, Zach Harrison, Ronnie Hickman are four, five, six. Mike Morris, the edge rusher from Michigan, was seven. Rod Moore in the secondary for Michigan was eight. Will Anderson's nine, which is like, okay, well, that's a dude. Mike Sandra still, the slot corner for Michigan, was 10. Kool-Aid McKinstry from Alabama was 11. Jordan Battle, the safety, was 12 from uh, in, the, in our, that listing. Tyleek Williams was 13 for Ohio State. Javon Bullard, the slot corner who made the hit on Marvin Harrison Jr., he's 14. Cody Simon is tied for 14. And now we're kind of getting into some stuff. So that wasn't – it almost made me like, oh, maybe those – Teams didn't have quite as many dudes because I thought maybe it would be I would look at that and think, man, man, I think Georgia had five dudes last year. Two years ago, I think you would have said that, right? So by the PFF grade, I think they compared pretty pretty well. And that's part of this, too, is I think when you go out, the best teams, especially defense-heavy teams, you would go through and say, well, they have that. So I do want to get to that right now, Nathan, is what should the number be? And I asked the tech subscribers What's a reasonable expectation for how many dudes Ohio State should have on defense each year? This was the breakdown. 43% said two. 40% said three. 10% said four. 6% said five or more. 1% said one. Nobody said none. Nobody said that none is okay. So that's about like two and a half, Nathan. 43% say two. 40% say three. What feels right to you as what our expectations should be based on history and now as we try to evaluate last year and this coming year? Well, I think this goes back to the conversation that we just started to have a couple minutes ago. The answer can't be zero. That's what's been really hurting this team is that it's been zero now for a few years. And because having even one makes it more accessible to have a a second guy that reaches that level, I think the answer, I mean, I think the answer is fine if you say one, because I think one so easily helps you get to two. Now that player who isn't reaching that status on his own, maybe Zach Harrison would be a good example of that. Like if there was a lockdown corner, then maybe that makes Zach Harrison a better player these last couple of years, a more impactful player in the pass rush these last couple of years. And we're talking about him as a, as a dude. So like if Clark Phillips had been here and had been a dude, then maybe that makes one of these edge rushers a dude. You know what I'm saying? So I think I think one might be my answer because one, even just one guy of that level, there it's it's kind of a ripple effect through the rest of the defense. I think that explanation think, is why it has to be two. Um because it's gotta almost work together in a way. In like in twenty nineteen it was a edge rusher and a corner that works together as elite as Chase Young was, having Jeff Okuda shutting down an entire side of the field helps. As elite as Jeff Okuda was at shutting down the side of the field, having a guy like Chase Young helps. I mean, 2017, you mentioned Nick Bosa and Denzel Ward. Having that again helps. 2018, having Draymond Jones coming from the interior and Chase Young coming from the outside, that helps each, that helps each other out there. The 16, having three guys is pretty elite level, especially since two of those guys were in the back end 
and then but then Bosa Bell. That's that's once again that's front and back end. I think it's got to be a because of how defense works, especially in this day and age. They've got to be able to work off of each other because it. I like that two and a half was like the number we ended up kind of basing this off of because having that two is going to create that half, especially if that two one of them is up front and the other one's in the back end. Yeah, when you get to when you get to four, it's almost like something went yeah yeah, yeah. way better than expected, right? And that's kind of what happened with Darren Lee, right? A guy who showed up as a three-star prospect was not even a linebacker, and all of a sudden he's dude level within a couple of years and off to the NFL. And that's something you, I almost think any program can't really bank on that. But you should be getting that occasionally if you're Ohio State. Like you should get it every probably more than once a decade, and it's it's been a minute. And and again, you you look at the list. Well, nobody with who they were coming in, nobody was surprised that Joey Bosa or Nick Bosa or Chase Young or Jeff Okuda mm-hmm. or Von Bell rose to that level. But Malik Hooker wasn't supposed to Ward. be that. He was. And I don't, Denzel yeah. Ward was a three-star recruit. I don't know that you thought it was going to be that. So you do need a mix. I think the thing that really helps it is you probably should be recruiting a guy in every class that you have a really good feeling can be that. And then, Stephen, if you, like every other year, can have a guy that you didn't expect turn into it, now all of a sudden you're talking about close to two mm-hmm. more often than not. And I think that would show up a little bit here, too. It's like, I don't know that you can be expected to, to have, because it doesn't have to be five-star recruits. So it'd be like, well, do you have two five-stars on defense in this class? It's like, well, that's a, that's a lot to ask. But if you have a superstar that then somebody else raises their level, and again, I think that's where we would question this, but that's not, that's probably the best way to get to two is one that you expected yeah, and one I, that you didn't. If you're building a recruiting class it's for Ohio State's purposes, you should probably have a guy on offense that you think is a bona fide dude if he develops the right way, a guy on defense who you think is a bona fide dude if he develops the right way, and then a quarterback who's probably going to be a dude because of how this, this works nowadays. And if that's your foundation, you should be set. The problem is we've seen the guys on offense that we think should be dudes, and they ended up being dudes. We've stopped seeing the recruits down defense who we think should be the dudes be the dudes because they've recruited it. They've had five-star edge rushers, top 100 cornerbacks. We just like five-star. There's a five-star linebacker on the team now, a five-star safety. We just haven't seen it develop the same way. And there is there is certainly that development aspect of it is – you know, we've we've talked enough about the recruiting dips and when you lose Kerry Combs and the transition and the guy, you know, you lose Clark Phillips and the transition from Ryan Day and Jeff Halfley leaving and all those kind of things. We know all that, but there there is a development aspect of this where maybe there's been some five star, you know, some the best recruits that become, <clears throat> excuse me, good players, but maybe not great players. And then you haven't had as many guys kind of out of nowhere. Okay. When we come back, we'll try to decide how many dudes did Ohio State have on defense last year. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back. Nathan, how many dudes would you say the 2022 Ohio State defense had? So listen, I could almost get to one. I, I You could make an argument for Tommy Eichenberg. You can make an argument, for sure. Um, kind of a unanimous second team All-American. I know that that's like, <laughs> that that's reaching down to a different level, but also just more than that, the presence that he had and the way you, you felt him in the defense, I thought were almost there, but I still don't think that I would 
call that dude level. It was very good. It was very, very good. But I don't think I can get to dude level on that. I don't think it was so disruptive and so um, it doesn't really like, I don't know if I put like the, the, the fear of God into opponents, the mm-hmm. way that we talked about with these other guys. So I would say, then they got flashes of dude. Like there was no more like, like the single most dude performance, maybe of anybody on this list was JT Tuomaloa at Penn state. But one week does not make a dude. So uh, JT might have had the best dude moment of any Ohio State football player of the past decade of just like single game. What was that? I don't even know what to make of it. Certainly, but like you're, it's got to be consistent. So we've seen dude moments. I can't put Tommy Eichenberg up here because a dude is a dude, regardless of what the what 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 pond you throw him in. And I don't know how much of the high PFF grade they use him as a weapon, all that stuff. He had a very good year. I don't know how much of that is him versus how much of that is how Jim Knowles has schemed up linebackers because linebackers in Jim Knowles' system eat up tackles all the time. So it's, it's, it's hard. I, I can't do it with them because that was the Chase Young system in 2019. Their entire game plan was Chase Young's going to get to the football. So everybody just watch him for the most part. And the same thing with Bosa's and, you know, it, Marshawn Lattimore and Malik Hooker, nothing's getting past them. They're picking off every ball, and they're actually scoring touchdowns. That has nothing to do with scheme. That's all player-driven. That's my instinct on Eichenberg as well, is that it was a great marriage of player and coach, of talent and scheme. But if if that existed on its own, would it rise to that level? And it's again, it's not about – right. Well, if he had been a first team All American, if if a couple right, would we would we then think right. it? Well, I don't know. I mean, we we watched him play every snap. Mm-hmm. We, no. we think what we think, right? So it it's not as much about that. And so I asked the Texers how many last year. Forty one percent said one. Twenty seven percent said none. Twenty five percent said two. Six percent said three. So. And then we'll get to some answers here. So 68% of the people said one or none. I think for most of them, Nathan, that is, it's either Tommy Eichenberg or nobody. Because if you're trying to start a dude list from last year, Eichenberg has to be the guy that you have at the top of the list. I mean, Mike Hall had a good dude month to start the year and then things Mm -hmm. didn't, he couldn't sustain that quite the same way. And then, like we said, the JT game and other little flashes you got from him. But it's just it, it, it's 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 hard. Like it's and I think another good example is I, I brought up the second team All-American as an example of just the, the acknowledgement that he had from the football world at large. But like you don't have Sean Wade on this list, who is a consensus first team All-American in 2020. And it's because when Sean Wade played that year, you didn't feel the same thing that you felt with the other guys on this list. And I think that's the standard. And this is hard. This is a a hard lens for a conversation because you wind up talking about a lot of people who got A's and Mm -hmm. saying, well, I don't know if they got an A plus. And so now all of a sudden, what's your podcast topic on Friday? It's like, Oh, we're talking about, we're talking down Tommy Eichenberg, how he played last year, how like it was. And like, that's not the intention, right? The intention is a bigger picture. Look at what is required for greatness how often has Ohio State had it? 
and they have a lot of very good football players now, but do they have enough greatness and true, true rare excellence to get where they want to go compared to the Joey Vosa, Von Bell, Raekwon McMillan, Darren Lee year. So that is, you're being compared to the best of the best in the history of the program. But, you know, if I'm going to go through linebackers and say, what's a dude linebacker look like? It's like, well, let me show you AJ Hawk. Let me show you Ryan Shazier. Let me show you James Laurinaitis. Let me show you, you know, Raekwon McMillan. And then I, I don't, I, 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 the next tier to me is like, well, cause like, let me, let me see if uh, I can find it here. Um, someone brought up Jerome Baker and I thought about Jerome Baker, Jerome Baker in 2016. And then how about Jordan Fuller and, uh, and um, Devon, Devon Hamilton, right? It, it later on, somebody brought up that like Jerome Baker in 16, that's from the four one nine. That's a guy mm. I really thought about because that is a guy who I thought was not the any favors by his coaches, as I said many times, but he was really, and you've seen what Jerome Baker has become in the NFL. He was really good in coverage. He was really good in space. I think he just had a smart read on the game and knew where to be, but I didn't put him on. So I think Eichenberg to me is not quite at the Lorditis Hawk Shazier McMillan level. And he's in there with Jerome Baker and, you know, the flashes of Baron Browning and um, Harrison and like all these guys, Stephen. And that is that's not in any way a criticism. But if I was in the end having to vote on this, I I think I'd vote zero. Yeah, for good, last good room. I like the Baker fooler thing, because once again, not dudes, but guys who were very, very important to things that are going on. And you almost didn't realize it until they were gone. But you still can't put him up there because if you're a dude, then you realize it was happening. Yes. To go back to what you were saying before, like straight A's isn't the standard here. Feeling like you need to be skipped a yes. grade is the standard. Mm. Like guys who don't really belong in their grade level anymore. Like Chase Young, it felt unfair. Uh, you know, Jeff Okuda at times, it felt unfair. Like this guy, what are we like? This guy's kind of almost wasting his time in college now. Like, hopefully you get a national championship out of it as the reward. Like that, that level where it's, 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 it feels unfair. Ari Wasserman isn't suggesting that maybe you move to Malibu and skip your final year of college football. You can't make this list. (laughs) Ari isn't screaming from the press box. Why are you playing? (laughs) <laughs> move away, move away from the 817. Last year, I think it's either zero or one. JT was half a dude because the offense had to account for him, even if the dude production only came in one game. I also think Tommy is worthy of being half a dude as well as an All-American. However, it maybe wasn't flashy enough to be a full dude. So I think like that, that's an 817 texter who is kind of getting on the same page with us from the 614. I think your list is spot on. 2022 was the year of the dude flash. Can I trademark that? Be careful. Be careful. You trademarked <laughs> dude flash. Be careful. But yes, you may take it. JT Tuimaloa. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say Buckeye talk on the end of that because let's I don't not. think let's we want to be associated, associated with that. Uh, let's not. Let's not. Uh, if it pleases the court, yeah, we no. did not trademark that. No. It was the person from the 614. <laughs> JT Tui had the most dude flashes. He basically had a dude supernova in the Penn State game. Lathan Ransom 
flashed like a dude a few times. Caden Curry had some dude flashes, albeit against bad teams. Zach Harrison flashed and had what I thought was by far his best season as a Buckeye. He batted down important passes, made huge run-stopping tackles, and put opposing quarterbacks under duress. Tommy Eichenberg was a playmaker whose nose was on the football more times than not. That was super important. I don't want to undervalue any of these players and their performances, but I think your point stands. No one, no one player in 2022 was a consistent dude like Joey Bosa in 2014, Malik Hooker in 2016, or Jeff Okuda in 2019. The 2022 defensive dudes just flashed. There needs to be more of a lightning storm in 2023 if the Buckeyes want to beat Michigan and win a national championship. I think, I think, I mean, that person just basically completely crystallized our conversation and the, the other part of it then is think about if somebody rises that drop chase young drop von bell into this defense now and let's see what it does for jt let's see what it does for tommy eichenberg let's see what it does for denzel burke and i do think there are people who have the ability to do that nathan but i think as as we look backward i would say in 2022 we got closer is that fair than we did in 20 or 21? If mm-hmm. it would be the third yep. year where we would say zero, we're certainly closer to saying somebody a year ago. No, I, I definitely think we got closer this past season. Um, but just just for the fact that Tumaloa's performance at Penn State showed you what could happen. Mike Hall, the way he was really kind of wrecking things early in the year, showed what could happen. Where I don't think you were even getting like top-end hints those last couple of years, the previous couple of years that, that, that kind of thing was ahead. And, and I, I keep your, your straight A's thing is kind of really stuck in my head right now. Cause I think of people like Tommy Eichenberg or Pete Werner or Ronnie Hickman. I mean, I don't know if he's maybe even stretching this example, but it's like, it's they're valedictorians, but they're those, we all went to school with these people. They're like, they took it really seriously and they worked really hard and they like maximized their academic performance and they got straight A's. But we're talking about savants here. We're looking for savants. We're looking for the people who you just you it just it the just people looks who like and feels did different. a quick review five minutes before the test, didn't study at all, didn't pay attention the whole semester, and then somehow get an A on the exam. Well, almost almost yeah. like the class is beneath <laughs> them is what I'm thinking. It's like it's it's a high standard, but it's like it's like I it, it's it's I'm not only going to pass this test, I'm going to. I'm going to break your will that yeah. you even gave it to me. I'm going to answer it so quickly and so decisively and so correctly. Okay. I, I think that's I think that's a pretty correct uh, lens to view the past couple of years at Ohio State, which which then would, you know, if we kind of coalesce around that, that's three straight years with none, which is a, a thing. And But when we think about the level of defense – the statistical ranking, how often did they did they step up in big moments? And and this is again, it's not to, to criticize anybody. I don't know, Steven. I think if they had two know about it dudes, they might have stopped Stetson Bennett and Georgia on that last game winning drive. It doesn't mean that a defense with dudes never gives something up, but they they had a chance to slam the door and they didn't. And I don't, I don't, I don't categorize that as like the defense failed the Buckeyes, and that's why they lost to Georgia because Stetson Bennett and Todd Monken and what that offense was doing at that time, they did what they do. But would Chase Young or Marshawn Lattimore or Ryan Shazier have done something there? And Zach Harrison came within a whisker of doing it, Stephen. Yeah. 
but I think that's where that's where it shows up at times of did you slam the door like JT slammed the door on Penn State? It's like okay, well Penn State's not going to win this game because JT Tui Malala is not going to let it happen. That's about the totality of the game at that point. And I, I'm glad you brought up the Zach Harrison. Almost dudes, almost make the play. Dudes make the play. And when we're talking about last year, where it's us saying it, Davis and Ibnosen is saying it, how Ohio State's. I mean, Davis and Ibnosen said Ohio State was supposed to win the national championship last year if a couple of plays go differently. Well, what if you have a dude in those moments? Well, if you do have Chase Young gets to Stetson Bennett and it's a strip sack or at least a sack and the game is over. Jeff Okuda or Sean Wade in the slot probably doesn't fall down. And so it's not a explosive touchdown. The Michigan game, Jeff Okuda or Sean Wade in the slot or Marshawn Lattimore or Malik Hooker, JJ McCarthy's not dropping bombs in Ohio State in the second half. So when you're talking about these small little moments where it's like if you had a dude there when it's all you absolutely need a play to be made, that's where Ohio State's probably missed the dude the most, which is why you go back to that Penn State game. All the stuff JT was doing, what's the moment that really stands out the most? Him picking that ball off and going and putting the ball in the end zone. Because it's like, nope. It doesn't like Penn State needed something to happen there. And JT just going supernova dude, it's like, nope, can't have it. And I think it even goes beyond whether a play gets made or not. Like you, as an offense, you call different plays against a team that has multiple dudes. Like you have to protect your plays. You have to protect your quarterback in a different way against a team that has Chase Young or or the Bosa's or or Draymond. Like you, you it's you have to approach those plays differently. So maybe the guy who was open on the plays that Georgia was running would not have been open because they would have run different plays. They have to approach the whole scenario differently okay last break when we come back how many do we think there might be on this 2023 ohio state defense we'll do that next on buckeye talk so we put this out to the texters if you want to be a part of this 614-350-3315 you get to answer surveys like this you get to send in comments we're going to get to a few more comments that our texters sent in it's 399 a month and but it starts with a two-week free trial so if you did it right now you get it through the spring game you could hang out with us how many do you think the Ohio State defense will have this year? How many dudes? 34% said three. 32% said two. 18% said four. 10% said one. 8% said five or more. And nobody said none. So in a world where we, in conclusion, have decided they have not had any the past three years, of the people, Nathan, think they'll have two or more. Is this appropriate optimism? Is this blind optimism? Is this (laughs) faith in something that we can see on the horizon? Do you, are you surprised at all by the numbers and how many people are thinking not just two, but we're really, we could get to three or four. I don't think it's blind optimism. Because, again, like we're talking about Tommy Eikenberg. He's back this year. We're talking about JT Tuomaloao and Mike Hall. They're back this year. We're talking about guys who they have recruited who are on the verge, Sonny Styles, etc., that are like they've got roles that, that could be a thing. Um, so I don't think it's blind optimism. It is optimistic to think they could get all the way to five. Having, I mean, none of the teams you listed had five, including like national championship and, and, and great teams. So – Five is super optimistic as far as like what you're going to put your money down on. 
But I also think that if this team has one, then it probably has two, as we were saying before. I don't think like just Mike Hall does this for a full season and JT Tuomaloao doesn't. I think they probably it probably builds off of each other. Or if Denzel Burke steps up and just has that thing that has been looming maybe on the horizon for him, I think that probably makes a dude up front in combination. So if I, I would vote, I would I would say two. I think this team has two dudes that can emerge. And I think there's it's reasonable to assume that it will happen this year. Because it's it's also it's it's also guys who have shown it and then are coming back. We're not like talking about well, Pete Werner kind of in his last year as he was heading out the door, or maybe Malik Harrison in 2019 as he was leaving. Like these are guys who we already sort of feel that way about, and then now they're coming back for more. This might be just another excuse for a podcast format to talk about Sonny Styles. I I might be <laughs> you may have found me out uh, in that way because I do think. When you think about some of the returning guys, it feels like there are a lot of guys, at least a good handful of guys, who really could be in the discussion, right? Tommy, right? Okay, Tommy's already there. Tommy's either already there or almost there. What if you get more of him? Does he get over the top? A version of Denzel Burke gets in the discussion, right? A version of Mike Hall, like the best, most consistent of Mike Hall gets in the discussion. We don't know what Jack Sawyer is going to do if they're going to let him be the defensive end the whole time. But there's a lot of guys that like you can get into discussion. But then when you really think about Steven, when you think about, okay, first of Steven, I want your number. But then like, who are the guys that you're thinking about when you make your number? Because I also think a little bit, sometimes it's easier to lean new guys because you might have an established player who has shown you who he is and maybe you just think that is a very good player, but I don't know if I haven't gotten full dude vibes yet. Am I going to get them now? So what would your number? Be, I think Steve? this is a good exercise as we start the process of eventually driving the bus for people. I talked to myself in the four and it's based on a lot of what we were talking about, but also like, I just went back and watched some clips of games and stuff to try to get an idea of like, who's at least flashed it, even if they didn't get a chance to really show us. Um, and three of them are on the defensive line. JT, if he can bottle up, he's not that, he's not doing the Penn State game again. That's just that's you can't expect anybody. I wouldn't expect Lawrence Taylor to do the Penn State game again. But if he can bottle up some version of that and be that consistently, that's a dude. If Mike Hall's shoulders want to cooperate, he can stay healthy and actually play on the interior. That seems like a dude to me. Rewatching that Penn State game, Jack Sawyer was really good. When they just let him be a defensive end, he was – I mean, he was kind of kicking butt too. He just wasn't getting home because also they were having him do a bunch of stuff. I think there is a situation with him where – I remember in 2018 when we were coming off that season and we were doing the 2019 spring game, spring practice, and a lot of the players were just talking about why things were better this year. is because they don't have to think. They don't have to do all this stuff. It's just simple. It's very simple. And simple meant Chase Young had 16 and a half sacks. And I'm not saying that's where Jack can get to, but I do think that just letting him do the thing you recruited him to do might unlock a eight to 10 sack guy because his pass rushing when they've allowed him to just do that has been very, very good. They just were having him do a million other things. And so I started thinking about Jack Sawyer, but then also I'm intrigued by Davis and Igbenosin and that style of corner that we haven't seen since 2019 with Jeff Okuda, just that physical corner and what that could mean for a defense like this. So that and so, so there's my four. I didn't put Sonny Styles on my list. 
mainly because I want to see what they do with him first because we can get all excited as we want, but if they're going to mess around with it, like it's kind of the same thing. It's it's a, it's a lesser conversation of what it was with CJ Hicks and maybe more with Jack Sawyer where it's like they if they mess around with it, we might not get dude Sonny Styles until 2024 because I, I can't 100% pencil him in as a starter the same way I can pencil in Jack Sawyer, Mike Call, and JT as starters, and Davidson Igbenosin is going to be in whatever rotation they do with that cornerback position. Yeah, it's the same reason I didn't put Styles on my list. The two I was thinking of were Hall and Tuimaloa. Those are the two that I would put money on. Let's run through a couple of uh, texture comments. I think you should have a dude at every level of defense. It seems the closest thing to a dude last year was Tommy Eichenberg. That's from the four four zero. I think Eichenberg was a dude last year, and this year, Eichenberg, Burke, and either Sawyer or JT will make it three in total from the six one four. Last year, it was only Tommy. JT was close if he could have built on the Penn State game, but he didn't have enough production in the other big games. That's from the 914. From the 440, I think the best candidate for dude for this season has to be Jack or JT at edge rusher. Two five star edge rushers who have flashed but haven't been game wreckers. Pretty much every defense you listed had a dude at edge rusher. From the 225, this is kind of what we talked about before. Problem the last few years is that we had dudes at certain times. JT at Penn State, but by definition, to be a dude, you have to pretty much be a problem always. JT and Tommy have that ability, and I think they're your dudes for 2023. However, there are some dudes in waiting in Mike Hall, Court Williams, and Sonny Styles. From the 239, big year for Larry Johnson. We give him all the credit when he hits a homer, but little responsibility when he misses on developing acclaimed players, in my opinion. So I do think like this is, you know, where has been the home? For the most guys who fit this category, there are a lot of defensive linemen on this list, and we're saying there haven't been defensive linemen at that level the last three years. I think it's a, a point you have to bring up, right? That it's, again, it's not slamming anybody, but are they at peak development and production compared to where they were a couple of years ago? From the three, three other dudes last year were a mix of guys, JT, Tommy, et cetera, but they weren't dudes for the whole season. This season will be JT, Mike Hall, and Sonny Styles. That's Carson. This person thought uh, from the 513 thought last year they had three in Tommy, JT, and Lathan Ransom. Big time, big moment plays. Um, let's see. Dude picks this year. JT, Jack, Tommy are locks in my mind. One tackle, likely my call. One corner, assuming they stay healthy. And one safety, assuming that Sonny Styles makes the jump. Uh, let's see. I think last year the dudes were Tommy, JT, and Mike Hall went healthy. This is from the 330. So basically two and a half since Mike Hall was hurt a lot. I think there could be a lot. And I said over five this year. All the dudes from last year returned. And I think you can make a case for Igbignosen, Sonny Styles, and Denzel Burke and Jack Sawyer. I think this defense being maybe the strong point of the team could happen. Let's then make maybe final predictions here. I will say, I'll run through a couple more. But I will say I lean a little more towards the new guy. So if I was making my dude list for this year, I think I might have Sonny Styles first because we have never seen him not be a dude. And maybe that's crazy, but some of these guys kind of were at this level the minute they got on the field in serious snaps, right? So Von Bell plays a tiny bit at the end of 13, and then he's 14 dude, 15 dude, and he's gone. Marshawn Lattimore has two exploding hamstrings, doesn't play, gets on the field in 16. That's it. He's a guy. He's gone. That some of these guys, you know, Nick Bosa, I didn't put on the list in 16, but it's basically because of a limitation on snaps. In 17, he was it. 18, he's hurt. He's gone. That 
I certainly don't want to disclose, you know, not include Nathan guys who are progressing and rising up to something, but Chase Young in 17 doesn't get to play that much in 18. He showed it enough to make my list and 19. He's the best defensive player in the country and he's gone. A lot of the guys here were it from the jump. So that might lead me to Sonny Styles as my number one contender for this of an offense comes out and says, okay, well, we got to figure that out. And that every week, that's something you have to plan for. Now, Steven, you make a good point about like, well, I don't, I don't even know what he's going to do. He's not a one right now. We're not exactly sure what position he's going to play or how they're going to use him. So that would hold it back. But from a skill talent standpoint, Nathan, I think my list, my list would probably be two. And I think it, in my head, it would be Sonny Styles and JT Tuimoloau. And those would be my two guys. And then I would be on alert for Tommy makes one more step and is like, okay, there's not a discussion here anymore. It's, there's certainly a discussion now, but Tommy Eichenberg's obviously a dude. Certainly that. Mike Haller, Jack Sawyer with a leap. Denzel Burke with a leap. All those things possible. But I think, I think Sonny Nathan would just top my list for this discussion. Uh, you know, I think you might be onto something just because as you look at this list again, it is guys who, uh, unless they were held back by injury, they tended to already be showing it by their second year. And when we're talking about that sort of savant thing, as opposed to uh, <laughs> the savant versus the valedictorian, I, you might be onto something that that actually makes it more likely that if if there are if a dude does break through here, that it would be someone like him who is just who is just working from a different level at, at the beginning of this and is already, I mean, what, what's, what is, I mean, he, he did skip a grade literally. to go back to what I said before. <laughs> like he literally did skip a grade. Like mm. he's, he, he's here early and it was on the field very, very early in, in some important ways. So yeah, I, I think you might be onto something. Would we agree that this statement is true? Ohio State can't win a national championship if they don't have at least a dude or two on defense, Stephen. Is that is that a factual statement? Because in a world where we're landing on either zero or one last year, they were really close, but maybe our whole point is if they had a couple sure yes. things, they would have done it. Like is that yes. is that and, where we are? I mean, the last two years are proof. More than twenty twenty is weird, whatever. Twenty one, you have the best a historically great offense and a defense that can't keep anybody else from scoring, and it's why you lost to Michigan and why you were down and gave like thirty five points in the Rose Bowl in the first half. And then last year, kind of the same thing. Crazy, crazy good offense, even with all the injuries that they had, and the defense kind of got in the way of it at times. I don't think you, I think you can't, you can't win a national championship if you don't have at least one dude. I think I might disagree because okay. they, I mean, it was one point difference. It was one point different against Georgia last year. I mean, right. They're, they're right there. And if they, if they make one more completion on offense and no Ruggles is kicking from 40 instead of 50 on that last drive and they win a national championship with no dudes, like it was, it was right there to happen. I know it didn't happen. And yes, a dude would have made it more likely that they stop one of those last Georgia. I'm not disputing that, but there's also an, a mountain of evidence on the other side that if just some better luck had happened. I mean, if their dudes on offense hadn't all been hurt, most of them, a lot of them, if, if Marvin Harrison Jr. is still in that game for the fourth quarter, 
if uh, Kate Silver was saying is not a dude. If Kate Silver plays the last three quarters and and a couple of those different those plays go a different way, I just I, I can't say that they can't win a national championship without a dude with the offense at this level. What the level that we think this offense can still be at in 2023? Because the things we all talk, about, yeah, Marv getting hurt has nothing yeah. to do with the defense. And they had a 50-yard field goal to win the game that has nothing to do with the defense. Now, the defense not stopping Georgia, that's something, right? But there, you make a good point, Nathan. There are a couple things. Maybe you would have pointed out, well, if the defense had just done this, they would have won. But they also almost won anyway. With the, uh, And things not having to do with the defense would have changed it. And, and Georgia had the dude, Jalen Carter. Like That was like the right. dude of 2022 defensively and still gave up 41 points to Ohio State and almost I guess the, didn't yeah, win that game. I see where you're coming from. I think when you're working at that level, then having the dude just gives you the help you need when stuff like that happens. Now, you can't bank on losing that many stars in a season. That I mean, it was getting ridiculous how many like potential superstar players on offense were in the trainer's room or in the tent or not playing that day. But – there wasn't the dudes who could help Ohio State out in the moments where the off the at some point every year we're going to see this offense have a game where we're like Ugh, or at least a moment where we're like what is going on there and that's when you well, need your defense to maybe help you out a little bit and that hasn't happened for because whether it's the Michigan game second half this year the Michigan game last year uh, there's going to come moments where this offense is just not clicking because that's how f- sports work sometimes can your defense have a dude who can help you out when that's happening. I think that's a crucial point that it's not so much whether you need a dude to win the game against Georgia, but you might need dudes to get through this schedule with an offense that might take a small step back this year. There's no, we can't assume that the quarterback play be as good as it was with CJ Stroud last year. We can't, we can, I think, assume the offensive line will have some more issues than it did it last year with the guys that it's losing. So those things, might might make it more necessary for dudes just to get through the schedule, let alone not even necessarily so much win an individual game. Okay, one last question. But before we get to that, I do want to acknowledge that Sunday will be the one-year anniversary of the tragic passing of Dwayne Haskins. And our plan on the Monday podcast is to discuss Dwayne Haskins' legacy with a special guest maybe more than one. And so that we think is going to happen. We're pretty sure Ryan Day is going to be on Buckeye Talk to talk about Dwayne Haskins and what Dwayne Haskins meant to Ohio State and Ryan Day coming in and and what they did together along with Terry McLaurin and Paris Campbell and Johnny Dixon and everybody in that 2018 season that really laid down the modern era of Ohio State passing. And I just, we, we really, a, a year later, want to, really, I think, get a firm grasp on Dwayne Haskins' legacy here. And so we will plan to do that for the Monday podcast. Hopeful that that happens. And so I want to ask this one final question because they work in concert, but let's lean one way or the other. What is more important, Nathan, for this Ohio State defense in 2023? Is it a continued firmer grasp of the Jim Knowles system and figuring out how to use guys best and just everybody being more competitive within that system and it's not as much teaching and it's more getting after it? Or is it a couple dudes rising up and making everybody around them better regardless of what the call is? Everything goes together. But 
is it really more of a dude conversation or is it more of a scheme conversation for this season? That's a, that's a great question because I, I still keep coming back to last year not being a defensive catastrophe. It was just leaky at the wrong times in the wrong ways. And I think that you can probably some, – and some of that leakage was a, was a result of, of calculated gambles that they took that just backfired. And I think if you're putting a couple more like next-level players on the field – that maybe that negates that enough. You can still be aggressive without having to worry too much about the leakage because there's guys who are going to blow things up. I mean, the the defense that that JT Tuomaloa had that performance in against Penn State is the same one that Jim Knowles has essentially been calling all year. But that performance wins that game. It lifts a whole team. And that level of performance is hard to ask each week from anyone. But when you're just getting that presence throughout the year, and the great thing about having two dudes is it doesn't have to be the same dude every week. Somebody can neutralize him. Some offense can sell out to neutralize him. But what are you giving up on the other side? What are you? How are you paying for it by what Ohio State does off of that? So I, I think that the answer is they probably just, they need a couple of these guys um, either to to take that next step or the new guy to emerge, as we've mentioned with <laughs> yeah, specifically it's, it's Sunny a dude Styles. conversation. I mean. Dave says it all the time, and I bring it up all the time. Spot coaching scheme personnel. Day has he he spent last season fixing the coaching in the scheme. The scheme was not really. I don't think the scheme was the issue. Some bad play calls and some bad moments, but that could happen. But the overall, uh, this was a top fifteen defense last year. That's what we expected. I, I think that was a fair expectation to have. Dudes win games, win big games. Penn State. We're not, we're talking about when beating Penn State. We're talking about winning at Notre Dame. We're talking about Michigan. We're talking about playoff games. Regardless of what sport you're talking about, you need dudes to win those games. And they ran out of dudes against Michigan and Georgia. I think that's right. I think it's, it's a little bit of a lean toward the personnel. And, and then again, the more you believe in the personnel, the more that you believe that there's a guy who's going to wreck this game, which is going to allow me as a play caller to then do this as a result. I do think it starts there, and I do think that there still is the progress that needs to be made, recruiting, development, the expected guys, the unexpected guys. They just need a couple more of those dudes, and I think we'll see that defense get closer to back to, to what it was in its heyday. Okay, that's it for this Buckeye Talk. Go read cleveland.com slash OSU. Try the text at 614-350-3315. We'll catch you guys next week for now. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.